Over the past 30 years, research has linked moderate and severe traumatic brain injury to a greater risk of developing Alzheimer's disease or another dementia years after the original head injury. There's no evidence that a single mild traumatic brain injury increases dementia risk, but what about repeated head traumas? While a traumatic injury to the brain, such as a concussion from a sports collision or motor vehicle accident, is already associated with short-term risk of dementia, we're just now learning how repeated head traumas can affect the brain. What signs are there for brain injuries? A few symptoms may include change in vision, hearing or sense of touch, spatial disorientation, inability to sense time, disorders of smell and taste, balance issues, and heightened sensitivity to pain. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we get into the show, I want to thank all of you for tuning in every week. And if this is your first episode, welcome. I also want to remind you to follow me on social media. All of my accounts are linked in the show notes, making it really easy to find me. When you follow me, you'll get advice, more about my journey with mom, stuff about my own life, and most importantly, cute dog photos and videos. I look forward to seeing what you post as well. We're going to talk about all things brains today. On the podcast today is Matt. Matt is a podcaster like myself. Matt's podcast is called Nooks and Crannies and... Keep listening to the end. We're going to talk a little bit about his podcast before I let him go. So thanks for joining me, Matt. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, you tell me about you. But <laughs> my brain is off. <laughs> We've been chatting offline and now my brain's not working. That's something I can empathize with, uh, as, as you'll hear. Uh, so basically, I'm 37. I, it was my birthday on Saturday. Um, so happy birthday to me. Uh, I got my first concussion when I was 14. And since then, I've had uh, like over 25, maybe over 30 concussions. So it's definitely not good for your brain. No, it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, something I would recommend to your faithful listeners there. Um, after the first, um, say like, the first concussion, I recovered after like a few days, maybe like three days. Um, after the second one, it took maybe like seven days. Third one, it took more like two weeks. But after the fifth concussion, it was uh, like a car accident. I was coming, uh, reversing out of my driveway, and I got rear-ended in the lane behind my house uh, pretty, pretty badly. And it was that fifth concussion where... I never really fully recovered from the concussion symptoms um, from there. And then after I got subsequent concussions, the symptoms got more numerous and more severe as well. So each concussion I get, I would get like a one or two new symptoms that would never go away. And pre-existing ones would just become worse or heightened. So should you be walking around wearing a helmet all the time? <laughs> you know, if uh, I can get someone out there with like a mechanical engineering uh, background, uh, shoot me a direct message because I got a lot of ideas for kind of protective, discrete protective equipment. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I hear that a lot. Uh, either that or just a fully enclosed bubble. That would be that would be helpful too. <laughs> so how did you get the first concussion? 
I was skating up the left wing. Uh, somebody threw me an outlet pass. I looked back, hit my backhand, and when I looked back up the ice, uh, the defenseman just nice clean body check, shoulder right to like, like right in there, the chin and like kind of upper sternum. And uh, I re- I remember thinking I needed to take a penalty so I can get off the ice. <laughs> and uh, so apparently I don't remember this at all. I was waving my stick around after him trying to chase him to like slash him. <laughs> and uh, the ref picked me up. I was 14, right? This is like 1995 or something. Um, he picks me up and had to drag me over to the penalty box uh, for some two minute penalty. And my dad, thank God was on the bench. Um, as a coach and he's like go check on my son I I think he has a concussion and again this is the mid 90s where knowledge on concussions was not anywhere even close to what it is now which is even still pretty limited but we could talk about that um and yeah the uh I I played for Surrey minor hockey uh, up in British Columbia and the ref came over and asked me where I was and I said I was in Bellingham which is in Washington state. So they, they took me to the dressing room and long story short, I got diagnosed with a concussion, but it was one of the weirdest experiences. And I was 14. Um, it was um, like an altered state of consciousness, which is a pretty weird thing to experience at such a young age. Uh, I believe it. I had a concussion in nine, 1995. Hmm. As a lot of people know, I am a photographer and way back in 1995, we still had that thing called film. And this woman's film had broken off the spindle in the film canister. So it was all the way out of the film canister in her camera. So I took it into the dark room and spooled it back into, well, I was spooling it into a box that would feed it through the film processor. But I dropped the film on the floor, bent down, and but I was obviously much closer to the stainless steel sink than I yeah, knew because totally. it was pitch black and I smacked my forehead on the stainless steel sink and I remember thinking oh you do see like stars, stars yeah. and chirping birds <laughs> totally yeah it's like, like sparkling bursts of light so like when one of the first symptoms I remember like other than light and sound sensitivity um I remember saying to my doctor Uh, Oh, you know, when you close your eyes and it's just like an electric light show with like bursting lights that just go on all the time. And he's like, no, that's not (laughs) like most people just see like black. uh, And uh, I'm like, oh, that's a thing. He's like, yeah, that's a thing. So he sent me to a neurologist. (laughs) But but it's been an interesting ride. I have gone totally gone through the trajectory of like the increasing knowledge around concussions because in the mid 90s. I, I was fortunate enough to have a doctor who, um, like a family doctor, who happened to be interested in concussions. Uh, he had uh, two kids that played ice hockey, and he was like the team physician for our minor hockey association, basically. Um, uh, so he would do information nights on concussions. Uh, but he was such a one-off. Like I don't know how many even doctors in the province of British Columbia uh, were interested in concussions. So um, I was fortunate to have Dr. Iwama uh, as my doctor. But, uh, you know, when I went into grad school in 2010, at that point, I had had like 20-ish concussions, maybe like 20 concussions. Um, 
And those are like the full blown ones, like car accidents, like getting punched in the face for no reason, like just crazy, like full blown concussions. Then I've had a whole bunch of more like bell ringers, like minor sort of hits to the head. Um, so when I went into grad school in 2010, uh, I didn't really have a research topic and my temporary supervisor was like, why don't you just study concussions? It's, uh, it's something you clearly know quite a bit about. Um, and I had to kind of educate myself on concussions because I met so many doctors, um, unlike Dr. Awama, like especially specialists who just did not know anything about concussions. They either think you have like depression or anxiety, or they write you off as being like sleep deprived or just going through some like, you know, emotional stuff. I don't know. Um, or they would just outright not believe me that I have lingering concussion symptoms. And this is all the way up until like, like 2008, like when Boston University came out with their research uh, where they're the ones who take the donations from the ex like football players and military personnel and do the postmortem autopsies uh, on the brains. And they're the ones who discovered uh, CTE. Um, they, uh, when they came out with their findings, that's when the, the switch happened in the wider medical community and people started to at least believe, but you know, and then I entered grad school in 2010. So I had already read up all the limited amount of research that existed on concussions, just so I could kind of better understand my own condition. Um, and then when I did my research in 2012, 2013, there had never been a study on concussions that looked at it from like the concussed point of view. And then I also interviewed um, medical professionals as well who treat people with concussions. So it was kind of the first study of its kind. And I don't think it's been replicated since, but, uh, and that's only because it has not been researched. Concussions have been known medically for at least 150 years, but it, it hasn't been until like 2008, 2010, that they've really started being researched. So there's so much that is unknown. So if there's anyone with a medical background, there's so much to learn about concussions and traumatic brain injury, but uh, people just don't do research on it. So I wonder why, other than it's hard to study. Hard to, it's hard yeah, to study. Yeah, it's a little yeah. hard to research brains when they're still getting used. Yeah, exactly. There's that. And then there's also people like who are neurologists or, or neuroscientific researchers. They're going for things that are a little bit more well-established, like maybe epilepsy or some other seizure condition or traumatic brain injuries like fractured skulls and things like that that are maybe a bit more common or, or understood. But concussions have, for like 135 years, were just like, ah, just go sleep it off or something. Make sure you drink a lot of water, but not too much water. Like there was just, they were just kind of written off and downgraded as not serious. Um, they used to be called mild traumatic brain injuries, for example. So even the fact that they put mild right there kind of points to that. So it's on one level less sexy. And then on another level, it's really hard to study because the symptoms are really numerous and they're varied. And every uh, term I used in my research where no two concussions are alike, you know, but there are some shared similarities like headache. Yeah, maybe light sensitivity perhaps, but like the degrees at which you get those and what triggers them, it's all different between people. So for a doctor who is like a family physician, you got like 10 to 15 minutes worth of consult time 
And then you have a patient who has like 35 different types of symptoms, some of them neurological, some are psychological, emotional, like all over the place, balance issues. Um, what are you going to do with that? It's really hard to treat. So like there's one problem is like with a person who has a history of concussions, maybe like four or five, um, they, doctors don't want to treat them because they're hard to treat. And then, and then there's no real direct treatments either. So it's like, yeah, maybe go get a massage, maybe go to like acupuncture. I don't know, like what, make sure you get enough sleep. Like there's nothing, there's no pill to give them. So um, they're frustrating for medical professionals to treat as well. So like there's sense. avoidance issues with medical professionals when it comes to concussions. Some of the best medical experiences I've had are with therapists, like massage therapists, physiotherapists and things like that. So, and how do the quote non traditional people like what you just said, massage therapists and physiotherapists, how are they help? How are they treating a concussion? Because I've never heard of that. So, there are some physiotherapy I've had mixed results with, but um, uh, I also have like a tore all the ligaments in my knee. So, like, uh, sometimes like physiotherapy is good for that, but uh, um. Physiotherapy would be good for if you were in like a car accident and you injured like your neck and shoulder and stuff like that. Pinched like muscles and nerves up there can give you different types of headaches, exasperating concussion symptoms and and making your recovery longer, essentially. Massages, I don't know. I, I just find it's always good because of a lot of concussions are caused by either like falls where you don't actually directly hit your head, but you just like fall on your backside really hard for example, and it sends like a shock wave up your spine or whiplash uh, injuries. So people are in car accidents, they may not hit their head, but their head whips around and that's enough to cause a concussion. Um, so massage is really good for opening up the neck and stuff like this. Acupuncture, like, I mean, that is the place that martial arts were developed. So they've punched each other and kicked each other in the head a bunch too. <laughs> so for, they know actually quite a bit about um, concussions. Uh, for example, I started drinking oolong tea, like the tea that you get at a, a Chinese restaurant, like the one that always they always fill up. Oolong tea, really good for just centering me a little bit. So like some of the therapists, they will attack it from different angles rather than being like, you have a damaged brain. I must treat the damaged brain. That's how medical science would see it, like a one-to-one -one type thing. Whereas therapists will be like, well, you seem stressed out, dude. Like you want your neck rubbed? <laughs> like, yeah, man, I can use a neck rub. <laughs> like, thank you. <laughs> All right. And then like usually on a massage table, and this came up in my research as well. I interviewed a few uh, massage therapists uh, of various types. Um, and they're, they're like people, once you start like working their neck, they start telling you all their problems and it becomes like a therapy encounter. So it's really good for the mental health and the emotional health as well, you know? Well, you're making me feel really good that I go to a chiropractor once a month. Yeah, for sure. I injured my I, my spine. Let me think. I was 15. Mm -hmm. um, where I went to high school, I'm not an athletic person. I, I also wear glasses. Mm -hmm. I, need, I don't have any depth perception, <clears throat> which for somebody with a family history of Alzheimer's, you know, regular listeners know that my mom's visual processing is shot. Okay. And it's like insane what the way she thinks, sees things is just w wacky. And I can relate because I don't have depth perception, which is now one of her problems. 
So I wasn't into sports where you throw balls at me. Yeah, I can you know? see that. I'd rather duck yeah. than try to swing at a ball or kick at a ball. Just not my thing. So we had two alternative options. One was bowling and one was roller skating. Okay, I graduated from high school in 1984. So the disco roller skating was still kind of a big thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so because it was supposed to be educational as well as athletic, yeah. because I could do all the basic stuff, they decided they should teach me how to, to, to do jumps and twirls. So I did a 360 degree jump. Okay, this was back in roller skate days, not roller blades. Yeah, yeah, so I landed on yeah. one of eight wheels oh, and wow. basically arched all the way back and then reversed course and basically hurtled myself towards the floor. And I remember thinking, crap, I haven't had my braces off that long. I'm going to knock out all my teeth. Oof. Yeah, I didn't knock out any teeth, but my whole spine was just not happy. For the, it was probably a good thing I was 15 because it was probably still more flexible than it is now at 53. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so um, right before my 18th birthday when I was in college, we were supposed to do a biology paper on something. And like I said, I'm, I'll be 53 this week, so I'm having a hard time remembering details back that far. And I said, well, I'm going to do like um, food avoidance of certain things to find out why I get these migraines all the time. And in talking to the professor, he's like, I don't think you have migraines. I think you have, you need to see a chiropractor, which my mom did. So like literally right before my 18th birthday, I started going to see a chiropractor. And I picked that up again, like five or six years ago. Cause I went to a massage therapist and I had like a bump on my neck and she's like, have you always had this? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Feeling it around. And she goes, I think you need to go to the chiropractor. So I'm like, okay. So I go once a month and it's interesting because sometimes the week that I'm supposed to go see him, I end up with migraines and I don't know if it's because my neck is getting all out of whack or it's hormonal or both, but oh, it's always nice going, to go and before going, part to, of me? before going to see him, you start getting migraines intense. Uh huh. Yeah. That's like, like, so like I studied medical anthropology, right? So we're critical of the way uh, some practitioners use psychosomatic stuff so they'll write off like i have legitimate brain trauma but they'll write it off as like depression or something like that right they're like oh it's just all in your head but this what you <laughs> describe is. <laughs> is actually legitimate psychosomatic like you know this appointment's coming up so you yeah clearly you're tensed up and you're tensed up in the area where you have the injury right because you know in anticipation not that you're worried but you're just like well, very tense up, so he has something to work on. Almost like the mind <laughs> is a weird thing, but uh, that's how I describe that. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, the reason I also pretty sure it's hormonal is because no painkillers. It'll feel like a sinus headache. So you take mm. a decongestant, some aspirin, and it doesn't it doesn't go away at all. Mm. It's like oh, must be hormonal. And my mom had hormonal headaches. I've had hormonal headaches too, but it is interesting. I'm not, now it's been a week since we've seen him. So now we got what, three weeks left? So I'm going to make a mental note. Yeah. The week of the chiropractor appointment, just be like yeah. Zen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go for a hot tub. Yeah. Dr. Matt's orders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go for a spa day. <laughs> well, I do have a massage that's paid for at the gym. I just need to just book an appointment, but. <laughs> Guess now I'm just gonna have to make that thing. 
<laughs> I did start going to a massage therapist after I crashed on my bicycle. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons I asked you about the helmet besides mm-hmm. being funny is <laughs> I flew off my bike about 40 feet mm-hmm. and I landed on my left side and I broke my collarbone, which that really sucked because yeah. I've never broken a bone before. That's not a good one to break. Mm. But I knocked myself out cold. Yeah. I was out. Yeah, yeah. And I cracked my bicycle helmet all the way through. Jeez. Now that yeah, they did a they did a CAT scan. They said I didn't have a concussion. Surprisingly, I did not have a headache. So fingers crossed, because as you know, the more concussions you have, mm-hmm. the bigger risk you have for brain disease later in life. Yeah, exactly. Like I like I experienced um some things and we can talk about that if you're interested uh that relate to like neurodegeneration but um it is interesting uh that when you do have like a history of concussions it's more like it's hard to say any sort of specific number but um when you get over like five to ten like you know ex-football players people in the military and things like this who have had severe ones because that's the other thing they don't grade concussions anymore and they also don't use things like uh, loss of consciousness as like an indicator of concussions and then the third thing is uh concussions don't show up on cat scans or mris i've had i should i have an mri once a year at least uh, is just to make sure i don't have any blood clots or like an aneurysm forming um but yeah, concussions don't show up, even the amount of concussions I've had. The only thing that's actually recently shown up on a, uh, an MRI was uh, my cluster migraines, which I get like right over my left eye. Um, so like what you describe in your sinuses, like it could be hormonal and yeah, that sucks. You just have sinus like migraines <laughs> um, and hopefully they go away soon. But uh, yeah, the the helmet as well the helmet's really important because it prevents skull fractures right um but concussions the damage is done it's called diffuse axonal injury but it's done on the like the inner cortex of the brain like at the lower level so when you do have conventional brain scans like mris uh they they can't measure down to the individual cellular level that's why they don't show up they only show up um, in these postmortem autopsies that are like they're doing in Boston. They also do them in Toronto, actually. Um, and that's where you start to see the damage from concussions. Um, but that's related to CTE and, and Alzheimer's and plaque buildup and stuff like that. Well, that's interesting because they said, well, we did a CAT scan. You don't have a concussion. And the EMT, who ended up befriending my husband, like, oh, nothing. <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's not awkward. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. He's like, you really rang your bell. I don't know how you didn't have yeah. a concussion. And my only experience with the concussion is from back in 1995. The only reason I went to the doctor is because I had this horrific, throbbing, pounding headache for three days and nothing touched it. Oh, I mean, 100%. I could have probably yeah. OD'd on aspirin or Tylenol or yeah. whatever, and it just wouldn't go away. And the a funny, quick story 95, my daughter was four. And the doctor, they hand you the prescription and they said, he said, go home and take this. Do not take this on your way home. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> 
I'm the kind of person that'd be like, my head is hurt for three days to the point where I would like to pull my head off my shoulders and just toss it in the trash. I'm, you know, if you're giving me a painkiller, I'm taking it immediately. Literally 15, 20 minutes from taking it, I was out cold. Like, oh, it's a good thing I didn't take that on the way home from the doctor's office. (laughs) I would have been dead asleep on the freeway. Wouldn't have been good. So I didn't have any of that symptom. So I don't know. No, the chiropractor. That's, like that's a, a technique that uh, I I don't hear about it too often because it used to be like literally go to a dark room, uh, drink uh, a good amount of water, but not too much because they're worried about like swelling on the brain. Um, but it was basically like shut down all sensory uh, inputs, like so any lights and sounds. But the problem there is that it that's something that can lead to depression. Because if you're like, mm. you know, like five days, 10 days, two weeks, and you're still all concussed, you can get depressed, obviously, and socially isolated. Another thing is when you do go out of that lit room, you're like sensory overloaded, like, you know how it is, like when you go out of a dark <laughs> yeah. room to a light room, right? So imagine with a concussion and uh, with you being in a dark room for like multiple days. So it's always changing, especially the acute aftermath, the first like, day to five days or seven days or however they calculate it um what you do in that period really does seem to dictate to a certain degree how long your recovery is going to be subsequently and then there's just wild cards sometimes you just like surprisingly messed up for like six months afterwards because that's the mysterious nature of it but um that is one technique where they just like let's just knock her out for like 24 hours and that's usually what your brain needs is just rest, right? Yeah. I don't remember how many days I took. But the, it's surprising. Uh, like, I would be worried that you might have, like, a, a bad reaction to it. Maybe, like, a, yeah, just some. I don't want to freak you out. But uh, <laughs> I would be worried about putting someone to sleep with, like, a, a sleep aid for, like, 24 hours or something. That would be, I think it was more of a painkiller. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we're talking. Does the same thing. <laughs> Twenty-four years ago, good lord. Oh yeah. Oh, in the nineties. Yeah. Okay. So they're just like cowboys back then. They're just doing whatever. <laughs> yeah. There was no... no. It was like here, your head hurts. Here's something for the pain. Well, that's and that's what I was saying earlier. There, there really was no research. There is your few isolated doctors that you might run into who happen to go to like a weekend seminar, you know, two years before or something, uh, hosted by some other doctor who's randomly interested in it. So with concussions especially it was um sports medicine and uh sports like athletic therapy is what it's called um like physiotherapy massage and stuff like that those practitioners and researchers were the ones who really led the charge and they still are some of the key researchers because a lot of the signs of a concussion for one are determined through interaction like you have to give the person like a bit of a questionnaire you got to look in their eyes a little bit ask them where they are some of those old school things that we I'm sure they did back in like the 60s uh 50s to determine concussions those are still relevant and then the treatments are pretty basic like like just kind of shut it down eliminate screen time that's something I would really recommend to people if they either have suffered a concussion recently or at some time in the past, like eliminating some of the headphones <laughs> and uh, the screens, um, that's really helpful. Um, but basically, it's like get good nutrition, hydrate. Like that's basically all you can do in the immediate aftermath of the concussion. Yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot about the screen time because about the same time I decided to see what flying off a bicycle was like. Flying off a bike's not so bad. It's the crash landing that wasn't so great. Yeah, yeah. Got to stick the landing. A friend of ours' daughter was putting away volleyball equipment and in a metal, kind of like a dumpster, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and the lid landed on her head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those things are She definitely light. had a concussion. Yeah, 100%. And her mom was saying, I don't know how you don't. You guys have similar symptoms. But that was one thing. So they're telling this almost 18-year-old person, no, you can't use your phone or your iPad. Yeah. <laughs> so here she's already in pain, and now you can't. You know, they were, that's what they were telling her. Dark room, no screen, blah, blah, blah. wonder what the screen why that affects you. Hmm. I feel like it's something to do with LED and blue lights. Like, uh, um, actually, believe it or not, on uh, Nooks and Crannies, our podcast, uh, our most recent episode, it's up right now. Uh, we talked, uh, I, I did a bunch of research on LED headlights. I hate LED headlights on cars. And they're really like, bright. Really bright. And they're like, especially bright for some reason for me. And I think other people who have sensitivities to light, let's just say. Um, so I did this inordinate amount of research on the topic um, and condensed it into 15 minutes. So check that out, folks. Um, but I think there's something about the blue, white, like lumens light spectrum that is especially irritating, um, at least to my eyes. So like any smartphones uh, screen, any LED sort of uh, tablet, uh, headlights, even brake lights now on uh, some newer cars are LED. It's repulsive, and and the image in my eyes uh, persists for like multiple minutes, like five, ten minutes after. And I'm night driving with these this like glare in my eyes. It's a nightmare. <laughs> so watch out for me and my Prius out on the road, folks. <laughs> oh well, see, there's the other problem. I drive a smaller car too. Yeah, I've had Honda Civics for years, but in the last three years, I've had an Accord. Mm -hmm. But being in California and being out in the suburbs, you know, like everybody thinks they got to have these big old ass SUVs, which yeah. is so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and the LED lights, when they shine in the rearview mirrors, Boom. for me with right. my glasses, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like piercing, but it's um, it's like a starburst. Yeah. So I get like, I mean, it's pretty, but not when you're trying to yeah. drive. Yeah, and it makes everything on like there's brightness, and then all I, this is what I've learned there's brightness, and there's also glare. And that's the glare is the peripheral, like out of the light where you can't see like pedestrians on the sidewalk. Like uh, you're in California, I'm on, on Vancouver Island, so we have you know hippy dippy bike riders like yourself <laughs> all over the place so I'm, I'm actually considerate as a driver i'm worried about hitting them i would like to be able to see them as well so check us out too for a skating well, you LED love my, light review. <laughs> the bike helmet trying to remember da, 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 crashed in 2016 i ordered through kickstarter they're basically a commuter helmet that has a headlight, a brake light, and turn signals on it. Mm. The headlight on the bike helmet in the dark is horrifically obnoxiously bright. <laughs> now, if you're riding your bike in the dark, which I don't do, and I'm not stupid. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I mean, where I live, well, okay, I live in California. People think stop signs are just a suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Roll through you that. Know, speed limits point. are a suggestion. Yeah. It's the land of like, the free. 
Home Start here, go faster. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I laugh because the people driving through the uh, stop signs are usually adults. The teenagers know they better not get busted. You know, just psh, driving through yeah, a stop cops sign. Going to take their weed and beer, right? <laughs> like For real, do, right? <laughs> I like the moms with the cell phone and the Starbucks and the kids in the car seats in the back that are treating stop signs like uh, you know suggestions. But yeah, I don't. I don't generally ride at night, but I had a friend that came up to me. We have a a cycling group and they do ride on Thursdays and they ride up into my neighborhood. And so he stopped for whatever reason, I don't remember. And I remember waiting for him on the corner. And I, as he pulled up, it was like, dang, those things are really bright. It was, it, it was really obnoxious. Yeah. It's, it's anytime I mention this topic and I've been thinking about doing this topic for like a year it's been such a slow burn anytime i mentioned it to a friend i'm like do you hate led headlights I'm like oh my goodness please do that so it was pretty fun digging into it it's uh they're just going to get worse there's going to be more and more of them the uh the price of the technology has come down to a point where they're just going to be more common and they're not going anywhere they're going to be greenwashed into existence as well because they use less like co2 emissions or whatever and my city's starting to change streetlights. Yeah, we do that in our too. neighborhood to LED. Yeah, far but superior. Those are okay. Like I'm actually in favor of that because, like, you can really see a big area, and it keeps like pedestrians and uh, cyclists safe. We have like a ton of deer here, eh? and they are so used. Like, there's no natural predator really for them, so they're just everywhere, and they're used to cars, so they just nonchalantly just sort of walk in front of like the road and they look at you they stop for a second just to stare you down and then they just continue on their way at their own pace so it's helpful seeing those guys coming yeah that's true my husband hit a he hit a big deer while we were dating took out his um chevy malibu which was huge 80s block of like a real one yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you know the thing that got like no miles to the gallon yeah you're probably like good riddance. <laughs> yeah. But then he bought a truck that didn't have air conditioning. We're in California. Like you need air conditioning like half the year at least. <laughs> it seems like you married a smart man. <laughs> yeah. he Well, he used to have a VW bug. He thought, oh, I didn't have air conditioning in the bug. I, I can survive. Yeah, that was dumb. That truck didn't last too long because <laughs> he had to buy one with air conditioning. <laughs> so tell me. Well, you pick a topic on that you've researched on brains and we'll go from there. <laughs> sure. Um, I, oof, where do we even start? <laughs> What's interesting is like when I did my master's research, um, I defended it in 2013. I took a year leave of absence right in the middle. Uh, just uh, I, got, I got slapped in the face. Uh, it wasn't my fault. Uh, I, I don't know what deal was um and then uh two weeks before that i had fallen down some stairs uh turning in a term paper yeah i know oh lord i was wearing these giant sorel winter boots and i just missed a step anyway long story short um i had to take some time off uh my master's research was going to be leading into my phd and i was going to look at caregivers as well but that's something that didn't come up too much in my research now i know your podcast is more geared towards the caregiver experience. And I got to think there are some parallels between uh, giving care to somebody with Alzheimer's dementia to giving care to somebody with 
the chronic um, traumatic brain injury symptoms, I suppose. So, I mean, I was wondering if maybe because I'm used to interviewing people as well, <laughs> so maybe I could flip it around on you. Like, is there anything in particular that you would be curious to know as somebody who cares for somebody with um, a degenerative uh, neurological condition? Um, yeah, definitely. What, and this might, this might not be as basic a question as I'm thinking it is. What's the biggest difference? Like I know with my mom with Alzheimer's and one of the reasons that I post videos of my mom's late stage Alzheimer's struggles, I post videos of her. Part of that is to educate people that Alzheimer's is not just memory loss. It's not like you I mean, she thinks I'm her best friend. She has no clue who I really am. Mm -hmm. She doesn't remember her name. So it all seems like just memories have gone away, but there's so much more, like I mentioned earlier, her visual processing is shot. I mean, she, she will follow behind me because she doesn't have peripheral vision anymore, which is really annoying because she's really slow <laughs> because she's afraid of falling. She's mm -hmm. physically you know, her balance is still fine. It's really, it's the craziest thing. I think brains are just fascinatingly crazy mm -hmm. things. But the other day we were out, I, you know, because it's still nice. We're in our, like, well, you're in Celsius, but it's still very pleasant in California. I was yeah. harassing a previous guest because he was talking about the, the Arctic blast that's hit in the middle of the country. And I was like, hee, 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 <laughs> we're in the 70s. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kind of rub that in yeah. a little bit. She was following behind me. We went to the dog park. And the next thing I know, she's she like roaming around the parking lot looking for me. And I'm like, how can you are right behind me? There's <laughs> me and three golden me? retrievers. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's no, you know, she loses like functionality. Is that yeah. something that happens with you know, CTE or brain injuries? Yeah, I I think so. Like that's a good way of saying is like functionality. Um like there's cognitive function that I struggle with where, um, you know, as I said, I've had like, you know, let's just say ballpark 30-ish concussions. Uh, so I'm a little bit of a different case than somebody, some, some other people, I, I understand that. So I'm kind of like an, ex an extreme example, but um, other people who've had a, ser a number of concussions, maybe a lower number, they might see some um, similarities, let's say, in a lesser degree. So when it comes to cognitive function, I get scattered thoughts all the time. Like, so whether it's losing my train of thought or word searching or having um, mechanical issues with my jaw and like my tongue and my lips where it has difficulties in articulating words that are on my mind which becomes very like emotionally like frustrating and it's uh one of the things that like medical professionals might point to as somebody with an anxiety condition because when you are losing your train of thought constantly and you're used to having like you know i spent like 17 years at university right like i'm used to having a big vocabulary and and uh you know saying smart shit or whatever um but uh it's very frustrating for people but it also um, there'll be like, I will get, I will lose either my patience or my ability to even do a simple function. Like say if I'm cutting up carrots, uh, this is always my analogy for dinner, like cutting up carrots and my wife, uh, will ask me a question, but I also have Spotify going 
because uh, my daughter Violet loves Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then oh, wow, Violet cool will like kid. squat, squawk something all at the same time. I'll just be like, my hands will start shaking, and I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to, and I'll have to like leave the room. Like I'm just like total system shutdown. And at in moments like that, I sometimes just totally lose like my balance and fall down. And it's like, I don't go out cold, but I am in an altered state of consciousness where I'm fighting off passing out essentially. So that's crazy. Yeah. There's, so there's that. And like another wacky one that I've had recently is um, over this last like year or so um, my hand, my left hand will like kind of freeze up in positions and, and hold in positions to such an extent that like this, um, like the ligaments, I suppose on the front, on the top of your wrist, I got like a carpal tunnel-y sort of situation going on and I'm going to have to go to physio (laughs) about now, (laughs) but like you go into, like, I actually am fortunate again to have a really good doctor here in Victoria. His name is Dr. Rideout. Go, go Greg Rideout for all your medical needs. (laughs) Um, but he, uh, even him, like I go in with like, say if I just list like four of those symptoms, like what, like, like, what do you do? Like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you attack first? Like what, how do you approach it? So, um, another thing that I've learned over the last few years with concussions, um, or traumatic brain injury care is that it really does help to kind of pick out like one or two different symptoms or effects or, or issues that you have that are, uh, persistent and kind of address those first. So rather than saying, I'm going to go to physiotherapy, chiropractor, massage, acupuncture, this, that, the other thing, I'm going to start taking sleeping pills, um, you know, like slow down, just do one or two things. And uh, I found that that is a good approach, even for anybody with any chronic illness of any sort. It, it's a, it makes it a little bit more manageable, I suppose. I don't know. So, so that's how that I sense. kind of try to kind of get a hold of the chaos, which is generally in my mind. And the other way is like podcasting. It's, it's being forced to like outline my zany ideas into like a word document. And then I have a co-host as well. So he he filters me a little bit as well and keeps me on track. He's very supportive. Um, So like that's been very helpful. And it also keeps me like creatively engaged as well. Because like, I really love school. Like there's a reason I went for 17 years. I loved every moment. I'm such a dork for like learning. So like just a chance to like engage with interesting topics and talk to interesting people, even like yourself guesting on another show is very good for my cognitive fitness. So I feel like I'm noticing cognitive decline in like pretty scary ways where it's like simple tasks send me for a spiral. So I'm figuring I can offset it by podcasting and maybe, you know, playing a little golf every once in a while or something or go for a walk in an interesting place that I haven't been to. So a lot of things that medical professionals might recommend to people who are maybe in their 50s who are getting closer to the age where you start getting signs of neurodegeneration, you might recommend for them to, you know, do logic puzzles, go for a walk in new places, crossword puzzles but just generally keeping your mind going, there is certainly an element to recovery from traumatic brain injury that um, revolves around cognitive fitness. 
and, um, you know, staying active. But then the double-edged sword and the flip side to it is that people with traumatic brain injuries, they tend to get overwhelmed and exhausted really easily by even some of the most mundane tasks. As I said, just, you know, simply preparing dinner. I used to love to cook, for example. Now it's like, just like a journey or whatever. So you have to be like, for I found you have to kind of break up even like the most simple tasks into little step-by-step by step kind of parts. And if you start feeling that you're getting overwhelmed, you take a moment back. Like I'm very good at calming myself down really quickly um, and then returning to a thing. So it's like you learn all these little tricks, but um, it's not written down anywhere. <laughs> so it's just sort of like you're winging it all the time. Did you ever have a doctor suggest that maybe you had ADD? Uh, my sister does. No, I. Um, they look at that because it seems like I jump around all over the place, but it's more a difficulty in keeping my thoughts connected. And it only started like... I don't know, like five years ago or something like that. Before I was like, I would just love to just quietly sit in the corner and read like Ivanhoe for like four hours and just not like I've never, there's, is the last thing on anybody's mind that I'd have ADHD. Um, but my sister uh, is like the, like the textbook definition of it. <laughs> she still is. She's just like all over the place. So um, no, I think it's, uh, and another reason that I like kind of talk fast and stuff is because I'm trying to articulate the things that are in my head before they just, the thoughts fall apart. So I'm trying to get them out, but then they're also disconnected. So it's hard to like make the connections. It takes me longer. So um, again, podcasting is one of those things that it helps me with like my language struggles. It helps me try to bring things around and like set Evan up so that he has something to talk about and just stop talking. Well, you articulate very vividly. I use the analogy that, you know, like my mom's broken brain is like a really old computer. Like you can fire it up Mm -hmm. and it can do some things. It doesn't do very many of them very well. And sometimes it'll do a task, but another day it won't do a task. And it's just, you know, if it was, if she was a computer, we'd throw it out and buy a new one that worked better, but she's not. So can't I can't do that. Do with that. a human. Eh? Not no. yet, at least. <laughs> Trump 2020 or whatever. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, interesting because being a photographer, so I'm a very creative person also. Mm. And I started the podcast because I was looking for a much easier way to basically ingest information. Uh, I would look online and read stuff until I was like, till I had a headache and my eyes were blurry. And, and then I would try the suggested advice with my mom and it would bomb. Mm. And it was like, this is really frustrating. I, you know, and I was at the gym one day and I'd listened to podcasts when they first started coming out, when you actually had to listen to them through the computer or a um, internet you know, like Safari or Chrome or whatever. And then I got back into them in 2016 when you could actually use a podcast app, which makes it so much better. (laughs) And I was at the gym one day and I was like, duh, I need to go home and look and see if there's a, you know, a podcast for Alzheimer's caregivers, podcast for everything else. 
This is before I knew that there was true crime podcast everywhere. Yeah, you should have started a true crime podcast. For I real. should have as well. Mine's social science. <laughs> My God, what a mistake. <laughs> Lefty yeah, social like, science. <laughs> yeah, you want to monetize that? Yeah, good luck. So I looked and there's a gal that's been doing it for like 10 years and it just didn't speak to me. And I thought, well, I can't be the only person. Mm-hmm. That's that feels that way. And literally it was like her. There was some people that basically just dumped their emotions into a podcast and threw it on the internet. So it was cathartic for them, but holy hell, no normal person would want to listen to that. So sad. And they're really and then there was some that were very medicinal or maybe, you know, just very technical. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't helpful either. Sometimes they're interesting, but they weren't helpful. Doctors talking to doctors. Yeah. Pretty much. So I was listening to a podcast called Side Hustle School, Mm. and he did like a 20-minute bonus episode on starting a podcast. And I was like, well, that sounds easy enough. And it is. So easy. (laughs) (laughs) Cats out of the bag. (laughs) Yeah. um, Doesn't cost a lot of money. Does take time. Start a true crime show. (laughs) Yeah. God. Um, One of the things that I've really noticed, it's like it's been – Almost two years since the idea of doing my own podcast popped into my head. So I haven't been doing it that long. And one of the things is like, I love doing it. I love talking to people and learning new things. And just the interaction, I think, is so fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that... um, So I've been podcasting technically for three years. Uh, I got... um, removed from my previous show <laughs> when I uh, told my past co-host that I I needed to take some time off the show to um, you know be a stay-at-home parent uh, yeah he uh, that was the end of that so um, I started this uh, our show Nooks and Crannies uh, I, I think like a year ago it might be our anniversary right now actually um, <laughs> with Evan and it's been an absolute blast but uh, even with the previous show I um, I was surprised at uh, the social outlet aspect of it. Like I immediately made like a couple of dozen podcast buddies that I feel like if I was down in like, I don't know, South Carolina, Florida, parts of Texas, like I could just knock on somebody's door and uh, be like, hey, it's me, it's Matt. <laughs> and they'd be like, hey, come in. It's weird. I wish you could, would have called me first, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the genuine friends you know so uh that is the greatest thing and then it's also fun to make the new friends and to chat with people in this sort of format as well so it's great and it's fine it, it's interesting because i wouldn't have thought well backing up a step as a portrait photographer i always challenged myself you know because when you've done 10 families in a month you know, it's difficult not for them to all end up looking kind of similar <laughs> yeah, totally. unless you go on location, which I'm not into because it's a lot harder to maintain the quality that I like. And, you know, like I said earlier, I like things easy. You know, it's easier to to have an excellent end result when you start out with keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. So I always challenged myself. I was always learning new things and then learning how to be a podcaster and all the social media that went along with it to promote the show and now editing video to put it on YouTube and learning YouTube. And it's like, good Lord. (laughs) It's like, I have noticed that there is a lot more like 
ideas, creative ideas come to me. Like I'll be riding my bike. I have to like go anaerobic on my bike mm. to stop the, the creative thoughts. <laughs> because there was one day I was riding. I was like, I almost need to stop and start dictating into my phone. Yeah, and that's yeah. not what I do. I have crazy note taking function on my phone. It's just like, I, I already have a document that's like the next two episodes are already done. Like it's just flooding out. <laughs> Yeah, poor Evan, my poor co-host. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> no, like on my I, previous show, um, the one that I was removed from, um, he did all the editing and uh, booking guests and stuff like that. Um, but on this one, I do all the editing and I know all the people now because I've been in the game for a while. Uh, so I can like get guests and things like this. We don't have many guests, but um, but I do find that just teaching myself how to edit um, has been not only a really good thing, like it's always good to learn new skills, but good for somebody in my position to learn new skills as well, especially. I was surprised at how good I am at it, like how good I became at it, which is really good for my confidence. And um, I imagine for someone like yourself, you're like looking after somebody and it, it must feel thankless at times because the person's not there really fully anymore. Um, so you have something where you can like, you know what? I'm good at that. And, uh, people like me, people are listening to this. This is awesome. Like, it's great. Yeah, like getting refresh on the download numbers and seeing what's happened. Uh, wait yep. till you see my hordes of listeners coming onto the show. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Cause I'm like, I love it when I'm on Twitter and somebody's like, Oh, look, I've been doing this for two years. I've had 400,000 downloads. And I'm like, uh -huh. I've been doing this for a year and a half and I'm at like 12,000. What's the problem? Wow. That's amazing, dude. That's really good. Yeah. Um, um, and that, uh, for, for a, for a, a podcast, uh, of the topic that you have, um, um, for, to be that popular, because uh, as you said, a lot of people would avoid it because I just think it would be like super depressing basically. Right. Like Alzheimer's care, like, how fun can that be, right, to listen to? But 12,000 uh, plus people have listened to you. So that demonstrates to me also that there was a huge niche that you're filling. Sort of like it's a serious but also if you can possibly be somewhat lighthearted approach to caregiving. And that's why I was going to do my PhD and include that component in the research. Because even when I was looking at concussions or just wider brain injuries or neurodegenerative conditions, if caregivers were talked about in research at all, it may be like at the end, last chapter of your book, just before the conclusion kind of thing. Very, very literally an afterthought. They're not recognized as important. They're not cared about. So as soon as I saw the topic and the nature of your show and who you were, I was like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking to you hundred percent. Like <laughs> good for you. Like I was about to send you a medal somehow in the mail. <laughs> so gold star in my books. See, like, I, I don't know what your insurance situation is like medical insurance. Uh, and I am Canadian. So like, believe me, I don't want to go down that route with you, but uh, if you are covered in any way for, uh, like RMT, like massage therapy, just go get like a neck and shoulder. Like you're like, yeah, I have this old injury from my roller skating disco days uh, when I used to be a <laughs> disco star. Uh, and that's why I'm here. But basically you're getting like a stress relieving massage for an hour. Um, because I, I, it's become such a common phrase, but self-care is really important for caregivers because you are right. If you are not 
rested and de-stressed and not full of anxiety, whatever, um, you will be able to deliver care better. And you also will be less likely to like be set off by smaller things like a flat tire or, um, or maybe something that your mom does that she clearly doesn't has no intention of doing, but it just, that's the thing. Cause if it wasn't that flat tire, it was going to be something else that day. It was probably just mm-hmm. like you're wound up from that whole month. It's been a, a, sh- a bad month or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think like if I had to preach something at you and the listeners, but self-care for caregivers is, is something that I would advocate for pretty strongly. That's I, I try to, I try to share what I do. And a lot of the caregivers that I talk to are also very good at sharing what they do. So there's a lot of exercise, walking, yeah. reading. Like you mentioned the bike and, riding like a number of times. So I could tell that as an you know, ethnographic interviewer or whatever, I would say, well, that's clearly pretty important to you. So I'd ask you follow-up questions on that. Like, um, like what, what do you do for, for work? Do you talk about that on the podcast? Sorry if I... What I do for work? Yeah, you said you have clients. Oh, photography, right? Right. See, there you go. There's my memory issues right there. <laughs> it's like you've mentioned photography so many times. How do I? <laughs> we haven't mentioned it too in depth, so it's been pretty top of the mind, so it didn't sink in. As soon as I saw your topic of your show, I was like, well, that's relevant. Like, that's very relevant. So, yeah. I, I feel like, unfortunately... We're at the very early stages of the Alzheimer's tsunami that could very easily take over yeah. the globe. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The booming and, uh, the boomers and stuff like that, right? Like yeah. aging into that. And then also all these concussions as well um, because they can lead to early onset dementia. So yeah. so do you worry about that with yourself? All the time. Yeah. I've actually, uh, not all the time. It's only been in the last year or so that I've noticed um memory slippages that have been troubling like uh for sorry excuse me part of my french (laughs) um as we say in canada part of my french um like sometimes i forget who i am like my own name as well names of people who are pretty close to me um i haven't forgotten my wife or daughter's name yet um but then other things where it's like you put something down, turn around, and then you have no idea where it is. And then I don't know what I'm actually looking for. Like those sorts of moments. Um, and then a, a, couple, a few times where I'll be out driving to somewhere that is very familiar and I get kind of lost and panicky. So um, using Google Maps is really helpful because I'm just like, you know what? Listen to the Google Map lady. And uh, But like I'm at like a... I'm at a 50-50 percentage rate of whether I'm going to remember if she said left or right <laughs> coming up. But uh, but that's not so bad because I can just turn the screen back on and look. But uh, yeah, it's um it's a weird uh, it's a weird position to be in because I feel like like I'm impaired in a lot of different ways, and there's all these other weird symptoms like my balance is all screwed up and and stuff like this. But the the losing my cognitive abilities is pretty scary yeah 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 having lived with i mean my we've been dealing with like it's my terrifying. moms it's terrifying even i'm sure i'm sure your mom is like has moments of terror too i'm sure alzheimer's patients have well i love it recently moments. like i said she's declined quite a bit this past summer 
There was right. one day we were, you know, she struggles to find a word, can't, gets frustrated. Yeah. And she, a lot of times she'll say, well, my brain doesn't work so good anymore. This one day she just looked at me and says, well, my brain's dying. And it was like mouth hanging open, mental panic, like, oh my God, is she actually aware of what's going on? Because that would be the worst. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, that's what's hard. A lot of caregivers like me, you know, you get like these little glimpses of like who they were, yeah. like back to reality. And, and then, then they go back to this la la land that they live in. And you think, do they know? And nobody knows if they are aware of what's going on or if they're just, you know, like, are you locked into your brain and you can't communicate properly? Mm-hmm. Or is your brain just so damaged that you, I mean, like she's, like I said, she thinks I'm her best friend, but she doesn't remember anybody's names. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Do the doctors have any advice on what you should do to hopefully prevent cognitive impairment that gets worse? I mean, you're not very old, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm a bit of a special case where they kind of like, something else that's kind of freaky is when a doctor takes your lead they're like well what do you think we should do it's like "Uh, (laughs) i don't know let's try neurofeedback (laughs) anyway uh no so there's like various things like this where it's like lifestyle interventions as they call it in the business where um you know watch my diet and blah blah um try to get some sleep uh all those exciting things eat right exercise get sleep basically (laughs) basically i um and then there's this dynamic where it's like, I mentioned it earlier, but if you're trying to like maintain your cognitive fitness levels and trying to work out your mind a little bit, but you don't want to overdo it because some of the research that has come out in the last say five to 10 years around neuroplasticity, when you are creating new nerve pathways, uh, neural pathways in the central nervous system, because you are learning new skills or, you know, learning new authors, going for a walk in a different place or whatever, um, the old pathways and the ones that have been damaged, especially from something like concussion, which has like the damage happens on the individual nerve nerve uh, level. Um, when you're opening up the new pathways, the old pathways have a tendency of dying off. And there is some indication that this is what is causing the plaque that you see in uh, the brains of um, recently deceased professional athletes. For example, when you see that black mark from CTE, um, they think that that's the old pathways dying off. Interesting. I have not ever heard that one. Yeah, it's something I noticed in my research back in like 2012. And I reread that those articles, like there's only like two or three of them. And I've seen research since then uh, around this. But uh, I read it like five times just to make sure. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like this... Um, dilemma of neuroplasticity where it's like you want to learn the new things but not too much because it kind of can possibly kill off like old pathways but then there's this other research about how a certain gene uh the aoep i can't remember the acronym yeah i think it's apoe thank you i always get it mixed up no matter how many times (laughs) i look um uh there when that gets activated and they could be activated for a number of different reasons, including uh, uh, brain trauma. Um, that is what leads to like the pathways dying off. So it, uh, it's very complicated still. And and one of the things that makes it so complicated is that the brain scans that are available right now 
they can't really get down to this cellular level. Um, so it's, it's hard to see the damage. And for uh, people who practice conventional medicine, um, you kind of need that visual representation to really do anything. So like the fact that you can ultrasound for kidney stones for your mom, um, that allows for a clear sort of uh, path of treatment. But if you can't even visually see the damage um, or the pathogen in, in this case, brains, uh, doctors really just don't know where to go from there. So they're just like, I don't know, eat, eat chia seeds and go get a massage. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. I've said for a long time that the final frontier of study is not space, but the brain. Yeah. That and hormones. Because- those are my two. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm like, I think those two go hand in hand. I'm like almost 53. So, you know, what is today? We have four days. Um, so we don't want to talk about hormones. Yeah, you can have thoughts with that. <laughs> Start crying and yelling at me at the same time. <laughs> I actually take a supplement for that. Yes. Okay. It helps a lot. All right, I'm, I'm very much into like the holistic. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I do not know your truth. I'm stepping back from the microphone. <laughs> It's it's just interesting because I can tell when the hormones are like being weird. Yeah. And I've read a lot of stuff because that's another place they haven't just like total. We're talking, taking a massive left turn here, folks. Yeah, crazy Ivans, as I call them. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't done a lot of studies. Like we know a lot about female bodies when they hit puberty and a lot about pregnancy, but they don't know that much about menopause. Well, yeah, because now, now you're st- useless in the yeah, eyes real. of medicine. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's just, it's like the brain. Female hormones are just so complicated that, you know, whatever. It's like we, we're going to we're gonna worry about, like you said, like the younger people because they're more functional. <laughs> well, that's why they needed to keep uh, young female medical researchers out of research positions as well. Because God forbid, uh, back in the day, you're going to get any understanding of the female body. No, it's like on our show, uh, Nooks and Crannies, uh, we actually released a mini-sode called uh, Radical Marxist uh, Feminist Medical Anthropology. Or something like that. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. About, I remember looking at that. Yeah, we because uh, <laughs> you know it, it's like actually pretty basic medical anthropology, but um, uh, it, it's a pretty well established uh, idea that um, the female body, through the history of medicine, has been seen either as hysterical, prone to breakdown, leaky. Believe it or not, as disgusting as that sounds, but leaky. And uh, your complaints and conditions are written off as like either all in your head emotional or well you're just menopausal or you're just going through puberty or you're just pregnant and if you're not one of those things well you're crazy (laughs) (laughs) get your wandering uterus out of here (laughs) come talk to me when you're 55 (laughs) that is true and then there's a they think there's a hormonal component to alzheimer's so it's like ah i feel like only in women not in men i hope to live long enough to see some of these answers yeah. I do take after my dad more than my mom. So hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. I don't have the Alzheimer's that my mom and my maternal grandmother and my maternal great grandmother all seem to have had. 
And oh, and honestly, you're you're doing the things that you would need to do. Like you have interesting conversations with, um, aside from me, thoughtful people. <laughs> um, uh, and you, I don't know, you probably read, you exercise, you probably have like friends and stuff. You seem like pretty cool, cool lady. Uh, so you probably got lots of friends. Uh, and you know, like uh, you you are a small business owner. So all these things that are going to keep your mind active, you're meeting people all the time. These are the things that, like, without a history of brain trauma, um, like, they say you'll more or less be fine for Alzheimer's. But then there's also this total randomness of it, where it's just like, like, your mom could have done all the exact same things, um, and then she has Alzheimer's for some reason. Like, she could have been doing crossword puzzles every day of her life. I don't know. Sometimes it's just random. So like she did do crossword puzzles a lot, but she yeah. also drank two liters of Diet Coke every day. Yeah, yeah. So it must be. But I so I I think she didn't <laughs> exercise because she didn't have to worry. She could eat her and my sister could eat crap all the time and not really gain weight. Oh yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. I look at That's a what pie like. and yeah. only skinny arms. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I have to watch everything and I have to and I have to work out all the time just to, well that helps my brain and my emotions but to to stay at a decent weight yeah I have to do all this I have to do all this work which is okay cuz it's good for my brain yeah yeah for sure um but they they ate like you know the white bread yeah, I the wonder bread yeah. I'm not even sure exists anymore. I don't know. I make my own bread. You have to go to a special uh, shop for it. <laughs> it's for like, real. Gluttons like us. <laughs> I like, well, I liked it when I was a kid, but. It's not my, good, man. Like, honestly, brown bread is way better. Like, multigrain breads are just, they taste better. Like. They do. Well, you, I've made my own sourdough. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's good. Eh? It's yeah. it's awesome. I'm a bread I, making I goof. machine. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. I love mine. Um, I actually have a segment of that on the podcast too. How to oh make bread by hand. <laughs> Why not? The world it needs tastes to know. better and you know exactly what's going into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about your show. Yeah, sure. I, I, I say that as soon as he tries to take a single slip, <laughs> swig of water. There we go. Blah, blah, blah. I ran out long time ago. I actually just keep forgetting that I have. Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, my bottle, mine's purple, but we have basically the same bottle. Great minds. <laughs> I tried not to drink too much of mine because, you know, B, you said women's bodies are leaky. Yeah. yeah if I drink too much more water, we're going to have to stop because I'm going to have to use the facilities. But so tell me a little bit about your show and then we'll wrap it up because I hate having an hour and a half episodes. <laughs> no worries. Um, so briefly, the show is called Nooks and Crannies. So A-N-D, Crannies. Um, it's available everywhere you get to your podcasts. And we are essentially a left-leaning social science show. So we're not too in your face with the politics, but I like to describe it as progressive. And then um, my co-host is an absolute out-and-out Marxist. So <laughs> enjoy his occasional Marxist rants. But then we also, it's organized like a variety show. So it's made up of a series of segments of various lengths, nothing over like 15-ish minutes. Um, so it, one segment, we may be talking about something lefty politics, but then the next segment we're talking about, um, I think we talked about ICQ and POGS recently. So we jump around a little bit and uh, try to keep it a little lighter. Um, and also in the future, as as I work my way through the transcriptions, I have a series that we'll be releasing on the podcast. It's going to be called Chronicity. And about a year ago, I did 
uh, 16 interviews with other podcasters who have chronic illnesses of various sorts. And I'm going to do a mashup series where I take bits of all their interviews and play them over a series of eight thematic episodes. So I'm really excited about that. And it's kind of like a way for me to put my, um, you know, my research that I did at school is kind of a way to make use of it. So uh, look for chronicity, but in the meantime, subscribe to Nooks and Crannies. That's really cool. Yeah. And we were talking earlier how podcasting has helped both of us, you with your, well, both of us with our, you know, keeping mental stimulation. So it's like podcasts for healing the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to develop that into a hashtag once either of us figure out how those work. <laughs> oh, I have my own. It's hashtag ALZ podcast. Really? It was actually a real blast being on your show. Well, everybody should definitely check out Nooks and Crannies because I've listened to a couple of them. They are really interesting. And as you can tell, Matt is a very interesting person to talk to or listen to. And Evan is also as well from what I've heard on the couple episodes I listened to. And I have a feeling we're going to be doing this again. Yeah, anytime. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode Thank you so much for joining me. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. This is how new people will find us. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. All of our accounts are linked in the show notes. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.